been told to come in lap after lap after lap. And what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it. Stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George. Try and straight line it. Get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton. Oh! Who knows? Never goes straight on. This is kind of appalling. This is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is Unqualified. Gerald is here. Graham is here after a long, I hope enjoyable summer break for you, Gerald. How you doing, buddy? It's great to see you on camera. Uh, joining us from from Maine, of all places. Actually just getting his vacation started. Gerald, how you doing? Tell us more. Phenomenal. You know, the three weeks off just wasn't quite enough. So I needed some more time. And uh, at least fortunately, I've topped the Philadelphia and Ithaca locations in in genuine this time. So uh, a little bit a little bit of withdrawal from from the sport and from you. But uh, great to see your face again. Yeah, Maine's a bit of an upgrade from Ithaca and Philadelphia. So I'm I'm happy for you. Yeah, finally, I'm, I'm getting it figured out. So, you know, well, I myself have added nothing to my tan. I've taken no time off. Well, I take that back. I went to Napa last weekend. That was nice. I guess that counts. Uh, uh, yeah, a bit. Yours <laughs> is coming up, though. Don't worry. Yours, yours yeah, is yeah, on the yeah. horizon. Then you can yeah, yeah, yeah. you can rub it in then. So, gee, we've got a month worth of news to talk about. There's no way we're going to fit everything in. But honestly, like, I think we have the benefit of like, the news cycle has like come and gone on like several major items since the last time we talked, and it's still kind of evolving. And then we had a jam-packed weekend in Spa with a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, man, where do you want to start? Well, let's just start at the the quick recap, and then let's jump back to uh, the summer break and and hit all of that. So, I mean, first, Spa, great showing, much debate about whether or not it was going to be on the calendar in future years at all. And once again, great race showing exactly why it should continue to be on the calendar. Uh, phenomenal race, especially after summer break teams coming in with all sorts of upgrades creating mayhem up and down the grid but uh ultimately red bull won two as verstappen dominated all weekend long coming from 14th on the grid up to first uh ferrari largely avoiding any major mistakes holding on to third and sixth place um albeit they they couldn't quite resist and and had to throw Leclerc a wrench at the very last lap. So we'll we'll definitely get into that. And then um, you know Mercedes losing ground to to Ferrari this week, despite Leclerc's sixth place finish. Um, Russell took third, but Hamilton DNF on lap one, few and far between, and um, you know a, a bit shocking. But and then Alpine. Closing things out, widening the gap to McLaren with a fifth and seventh place finish while both McLaren drivers finishing further down the grid. So uh, a lot to cover. But uh, before we do, let's let's hit back at the summer break. And, and just to recap, you know, we we had gotten a lot of constructive criticism from our producer that we really need to get these episodes out a little bit sooner uh, in the week, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, a little bit too late. And so finally we get our shit together publish an episode, what was it, Sunday night or, or maybe Monday? And then what happens? Tuesday, the biggest news of the entire season breaks, uh, and and we're not there to, to recap. So uh, just what was that news? So first, all kicked off with the Vettel retirement announcement. Um, let's start there. So Vettel, no surprise, struggling this season within the Aston Martin, seeming a bit dejected. 
very much as though, you know, similar to his time at Ferrari, just wasn't feeling it. I mean, the poor guy, how many times can one man finish, you know, out of Q3 by less than like three thousandths of a second? So I think his time was done. Uh, a guy used to winning, not happy sitting at the back of the grid. But what was your take in reactions to the Vettel retirement news? Yeah, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, I think, um, what was it, like maybe two or three races before the summer break? I can't remember the track. It might have been France. He he walked out of a driver's meeting because he thought it was a waste of time. And that was like, you know, not up for re-election, like quintessential, just absolutely retired mentally. That for me is like, looking back on that, you're like, oh, of course. So probably was just a matter of him taking his time waiting till closer to summer break, but uh, no genuine surprise for me. I think um, Aston is on a two to three year at mo uh, you know, at the most optimistic view rebuilding campaign. And he probably doesn't have the patience to be around for it anymore. Um, so yeah, no, not surprised. Yeah. Likely time frame three years to infinity. So, you know, he doesn't yeah, have or much never. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Never is very possible. Maybe the more likely outcome. Well, and unlike other people where, you know, driving is next to follow and maybe more akin to Raikkonen, who sort of said, I'm, I'm definitely stepping away only to find himself, you know, racing in NASCAR again. I mean, what's your what's your expectations for for Vettel in retirement? Uh, I don't know. I feel like he's probably not going to race other formulas. He'll probably get involved in the developmental side of the sport um, and like, you know, driver mentorship and those types of things. And then honestly, like. He seems like a pretty dynamic person just based on his personal interests and how much time he spends just kind of even talking about other issues, especially sustainability. So he doesn't seem like the kind of guy to me who's going to like hang it up in racing and then realize that he's bored out of his mind and have no idea. He's a dynamic enough person to figure out how to invest like his his competitive edge and like his intellectual curiosity and other stuff is kind of my feeling on it. But then again, I've never met the guy. So <laughs> the closest that I've come to his psyche is the terrible interview that Matt Gallagher did of him about, you know, two months ago. So uh, who knows what's going on in his head, but I, I certainly don't think he's going to be bored. Well, and after a career long in, in formula one and no Instagram or social media, otherwise to finally launch one right before he retires, one has to assume it was for some other purpose than solely the announcement. And so you'd think he has some sort of plan, but in that podcast that shall not be named, uh, they did, I think, ask him about, you know, does he see himself? Maybe the one good question they asked was, do you see yourself getting into politics at all after this? And I think he was generally reluctant, but I think I could see a future there. I mean, you think that's maybe longer term horizon? just seems very... um, magnanimous and and like you said very issues focused another like german racing hero no one's interested in politics until somebody powerful calls you and tells you they would back you in politics and then all of a sudden you're interested in politics so i don't you know who who the hell knows maybe he'll be the next ronald reagan i have no freaking all right well with that news that kicked off um then an even bigger shock yeah. to the system, Shockwave. which was uh, Alonzo's announcement that he will be leaving Alpine and going to Aston Martin after this season. Um, what was your what was your take there on on ultimately his motivations? And do, do you think that was a good decision for him? So, so here's the, my, the, the framework that simplifies it for me is just to simply believe that Alonzo just wants to stay in the game. I think that's his number one motivation. If he was motivated by being in a championship car, at this stage of his career, he'd have made very different decisions. So I think his primary motivation is like he just wants to stay in the game. 
he clearly like he's keeping himself in tune physically. I think he there's no denying he is as you know racecraft goes as good if not better than a lot of his ten year more junior peers right now. Um, so he just wants to stay in the game. So my the basic theory that I uh, subscribe to is that Aston was more willing to give him a two year deal. He cared about that more than anything. He probably appreciated everything that they gave him in terms of, hey, we're investing in the future. Come help us build this team. At the end of the day, like they're doing nothing currently to, you know, make them make you more confident in them as an organization. But regardless, they gave him a two year deal, so he took it. The question in my mind that I really want to believe is true is that he knew the details of the Piastri contract. And when it was sunsetting for Alpine to basically have rights for him as a 2023 driver. And he timed his announcement basically the day after that date was crossed just to fuck Alpine. I want to believe that so much. I don't know if it's true, but I really, really want to believe it. Like, because the rumor was, I don't know exactly the date that he announced, but there was a rumor that, because I think it happened basically the same day, that Piastri crossed a threshold where he basically became a free agent essentially in 2023. And that's what, you know, is being disputed in the courts right now. And then Alonzo timed it perfectly where Alpine would basically have zero time to react, to do something different with Piastri and put him in the full seat when they thought all along that they thought all along that I think Alonzo was going to resign. So he genuinely blindsided. That's what I really want to know though. I, I, I don't struggle as much to understand what's motivating Alonzo, but I want to know how deliberately he went out of his way with the timing of it to fuck Alpine. And I hope he went very out of his way. Well, one, why? And two, has that even been confirmed? There was the whole like time frame. No, not because the other, the other information was that they already had him lined up for a, a drive likely at Williams. And so he had a seat. It just wasn't the seat that he wanted. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think none of it's confirmed. I just want it to be true because I hate Alpine and I'm increasingly hating Alpine and so I just I would love to know that Fernando Alonso just like lit a match and threw it behind him on the way out the door. Uh, but you know, wishful thinking. This deep animosity towards the French is really eating you alive, man. Yeah, well now they're gonna go get Pierre Gasly for the second seat, and I'm really gonna hate him. So really they're just gonna double piling down. on. Bunch of freaking nationalists. Get the hell out of here. Although I'm sitting here saying, you know, we should bring Andretti to the sport, not get two American drivers, so who am I? But still. Yeah, that's quite the uh, quite the mirror there. Um, but I guess what was the why does Alonzo really have the right to be so like angry towards them? I mean, why it seems awfully vindictive to like really screw them over so severely. Re- realistically, I think he was just being opportunistic based on Aston's Vettel retirement. The seat opened up and. If anything, if you look at, you know, you, you can criticize Alonzo throughout his career for not necessarily making the best team changes at the best time. He certainly has been a little bit Daniel Ricciardo-esque in his ability to, like, go to a team at the right time based on the car development and the engine manufacturer and everything. Um, but he certainly likes to surprise people, you know. I mean, most of the major moves he's made between Ferrari, McLaren, Renault, and now Alpine to Aston over the years – have come at relative surprise at the time that they happened. So a little bit of a pattern of behavior for him. So no, I realistically, Gerald, no, I don't think he was vindictive. I think that's just kind of his nature. And um, he wanted to stay in the game and Aston gave him two years and that's what he wanted. So I can't imagine any other team that would have given him two years. Mm. I mean, I just don't think there was a better 
a better team that would have given him two years. Who else? Fair enough. Who else Haas, was really? Haas probably would have given him two years. Yeah, but Haas like... or Williams, but neither of those are are an improvement on Aston. So yeah, and the other thing is it sure while that like floated around that the whole timing thing was a factor at the end of the day like his announcement was pretty quick on the heels of Vettel's and so it's not like he almost was, immediate yeah so I mean it seemed like he could he couldn't have announced it any sooner he couldn't have worked that deal any faster and and so while sure it would have been another like mark towards a hostile character of of Alonzo right which you saw in some of the quotes from the race this weekend which we'll talk about momentarily but um I don't know I hope that Yes, from a a pure like strategy and like hurt your your new opponent now. Sure, it's intriguing, but I definitely think it would make me think less of of Alonzo if that was the if that was the plan. So, what say you of the Piastri scandal? Now then, so I feel like it's a nice transition to that. And by the way, for everyone listening, as of Monday seven thirty p.m. Eastern time, we are aware that the FIA hearing on how to interpret the Piastri Alpine driver's contract for 2023 is still happening right now. So we haven't seen any news. We don't know. We have some assumptions about what they're adjudicating, but that is still going on. But even before that, Gerald, like what say you of the Piastri news? Um, Obviously, everything that led up to it was a surprise. And then that one like broke the F1 internet. So yeah, how surprised were you? And you know, do you think that Piastri is genuinely acting in his interests or do you think he's being a little selfish? Well, I mean, the the first fascinating thing was Alpine sending out a message like congratulating Piastri oh. for joining the team and being a driver only to have him like respond via Twitter saying, yeah, actually, I'm not going to drive for you guys. So that was super awkward. Dude, um, how how did that get through the chain of approvals in Alpine? Like, I mean, you were the advocate for de- you were you were the advocate of decentralized decision making. So I guess there's the I guess there's the downside of of that management approach. Yeah, well, decentralized decision making I don't think goes all the way down to the Twitter admin. I think it's you know, stops <laughs> stops down you know at a level higher somebody with some degree of technical expertise. But so the social know. media intern has a little bit more oversight then. Uh, I, I think that that would be prudent. Yeah. Um. Well, beyond the beyond the social media intern, I mean, to be Astri himself. Um, well, one, my my hope from this whole adjudication process was that indeed he actually didn't have a right to sign with McLaren, and so he would still be obligated to Alpine, and therefore screwing over two teams simultaneously. That was my hope. It sounds like you're indicating, and then to have McLaren have like dropped Ricardo as a result of that, only to have to either unwind that or do something different. That's how I really hope all of this plays out because that's like the next level of yeah. But that'd be, that'd uh, be nuts. Yes. So that's the yeah. That's the increased intensity that that could come. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think it is. I mean, it's pretty. I, I think it's a bad look for him. Honestly, it's a little bit of a cutthroat sport. He didn't want to drive in Williams. The word thinking being then he'd actually have to compete against Albon, which, you know, have a competition on a back of the grid team versus having competition on a top midfield team. Very different dynamics and setting you up very different for your career longer term. But look, there's only 10 teams in the sport and you've pissed off one of them and shown your true colors to a lot more of them. So. Look, I know people got to make some the bold moves and and that's probably all forgiven a few seasons later, but I mean it would definitely give me pause before signing up Piastri to a long-term a long-term deal as another team. 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing you think about when a guy this young makes a move like that is like, obviously, he's not the only. He's getting advice from a lot of people. I know Mark Weber is. I think his eight might be his agent. If he's not his agent, he's like an, a close advisor, manager. Like a, I, man, I'm not yeah, sure what the dis- something, something. differentiation there is. So, 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 but I, I actually don't necessarily the whole like. Did he want to compete against Albon or Lando type thing? I, I don't really buy that because I think on a relative performance basis, like if he was motivated by trying to make sure he could outshine his teammate, I don't think he would have gone to compete against Lando, right? Like in a car that is like, after watching Danny Rick struggle with it, like very obviously like quirky. Now, he has better data on the tendencies of those cars because he's been a test driver for both teams. So like, I'll leave that to him. But I do think that it probably had more to do with just which organization he believes more in and maybe which brand he wants to be associated with. And yeah, I mean, on that basis, like not a good, not a good look for Alpine. You literally had, and I put this on the shoulders of, and I don't know if Otmar is the right person to blame because he hasn't been around that long, but like on the shoulders of Alpine team leadership, I mean, you've got a guy who has been as invested in your driver development program as anyone you could have had and has had more exposure to your main formula one team than anyone else in F2 or any of the developmental leagues and he's not interested in driving for you. And I don't know if that's an issue with the technical investments they're making and that they don't sum up to anything substantial or the personalities of the leaders who are making these types of driver decisions. But either way, man, I, I think it's actually more of an indictment on the Alpine organization than it is on Piastri, is my, is my read. Well, let's let's talk about the Alpine organization in a moment, but just focused on Al- uh, Piastri. At the end of the day, I just question the the overall decision-making in terms of the team that he's going to. Again, he might have more information on all of those things, but at the end of the day, Alpine is performing better right now. And you might say Spa was a, a track better suited to them, but they gave it to McLaren this weekend. And if that persists throughout the rest of the season, it might be the start, you know, it, it, that might be a first bad move to an underperforming team relative to the one that you had this relationship ongoing. And so just in terms of team performance, car performance, I'm not convinced that he actually made a step up by going to, to McLaren, but yeah. Yeah. Let's say, but, you. It, but if Ricardo is the driver you're replacing, I think that if you're worried about relative performance in your rookie year, the thing you should be most worried about is relative performance to the guy whose seat you're taking. Right. And so if, you know, like whoever is going to take Latifi's seat next year at Williams, people are going to be me- measure him more by how much closer is he to Albon than Latifi was. And when he takes over Ricardo's seat at McLaren, people are going to be more concerned about how much closer he is to Lando relative to Ricardo rather than anything else. And so to I mean, me, like, to summit, maybe he's fertile sorrel, you know? Maybe, but at the end of the day, you're always compared to your teammate as well. And once Ricardo's yeah. gone, nobody's going to be thinking of thinking about Ricardo on that team, it's going to be a week to week comparison to Norris. Dude, and who, and, who and I don't know that has Perez been compared to since he got the seat of Red Bull more than Gasly and Albon. Verstappen. I, I, I guess I, yeah, I don't buy that. Verstappen. Verstappen for sure. But like, especially now that we're two years out, but in the first year, especially oh, after sure. he won that race at Baku, that's all anybody could talk about is like the fact that Albon and Gasly never did that. But I think it's a bit different for a, for a rookie driver as well. And, and I mean, if you put him in the Alpine position, okay. I think Ocon is a, a better competition for him to look good. And then maybe he underperforms Alonzo. Is anybody really going to be critiquing him for that, knowing that he replaced a, a world championship winning driver? I, I don't think so. So I don't, I don't think there was a huge delta there. I think it's more of a risk of you're going against Norris and he might give it to you. But I, I think either way, he's he's 
he's going to be free from any like extreme criticism. I, I do want to go back to your push though on Alpine and like, what does that say about their overall like talent management strategy? Because you had two great options and now you have neither of them. Like that, that is a terrible look in their, in their HR operations. And what would you have done differently? People love France, but hate the French. It's a thing. I'm telling you, you know, <laughs> I'm going on a trip starting tomorrow for two weeks and I'm going to France and I'm pumped about it. Love Don't extrapolate France. all your own biases onto all the other drivers. Love France. Hate the French. Come on, man. Like, it's just a thing. Now, I, I yeah, like I don't. It's again, I, it's hard for me to say how much of this belongs to Otmar because he literally just got there. So I, but uh, Gerald, it could be as simple as like Oscar and Fernando and everybody collectively understands the trajectory of Renault's racing engine development, and they don't like what they see. Maybe he just doesn't like the brand. Maybe he loves the fucking color orange. Like I have, it could be that simple, man. People make people make big life decisions on dumber criteria. So I, you know. Either way, if I'm Alpine, you've had every opportunity to sell this guy on you and the future you offer him on your team, and you've gotten nowhere. And so uh, even at a high level, that to me is like all you need to know, honestly. And then the communication of it and the change management around how it all happened is just like so damning it's not even funny. So I I think they just, it was a situation of indecision. You didn't know who you were going to commit to. You had this thing with Alonzo, and that's great, and you didn't want to let him go, but at the same time, for whatever reason, you weren't convinced of Piastri, and so you weren't willing to give him a seat now, and and I think it's an element of just not being bold enough. Like You have the guy. Either had, you should have gotten him in the seat a year sooner, or you need to make the move, but you can't you can't have your, your croissant and eat it too. Yeah, I mean, look, it's... Ferrari's in-race strategy guy is on the same level as Alpine's general personnel management guy. Like, to me, that's like the same category of incompetence. Wow, that's which is the indictment. Which isn't great, yeah. All right. Um, any more you want to rip on on nah. Alpine and the French? I want to make sure you have a ample space here. We got to talk about a certain Australian. I, I know you're dying to to dig in here. So following then the the news that Piastri was no longer being going to be at Alpine. The assumption being, and now it becomes clear that McLaren was the alternative. McLaren cuts Ricardo free a year before his contracts over basically buying out his last year, leaving him free to get paid twice if anyone's willing to have him. So he also put out a, a video or maybe it was just the interview as a part of the, I don't know if I remember if it was pre-race or part of practice, but they had the Ricardo interview and um, yeah, he, it, it was tough to watch. Honestly, it, it, the smile was the gone. one he filmed from home or the one he filmed when he was like on the paddock. Yeah. The one he filmed. That one I, I saw both. Okay. Yeah. That was, that was tough to watch. But, um, how about from your side? What was your reaction to, to that news? So look at the beginning of the season, I predicted that Daniel Ricardo would be an IndyCar next year. I subsequently walked that back in like a previous episode because I thought to myself, there's no way that. McLaren is willing to buy him out. And honestly, I don't think they would have had all this stuff with Vettel and Alonso not happened. But then they saw an opportunity, and I think they swooped in. Um, but yeah, like, I, what would you have put the odds on Daniel Ricciardo and IndyCar at the beginning of the season? Probably less than 1%. What would you put the odds at right now? I would say somewhere between 20 and 40%. They have risen substantially. 
I don't think he's a front runner for the Alpine seat. I, I think they want Gasly. And so then if you start to deduce like in war game out, okay, so then like where does he go? I doubt he goes back to Alpha Tauri because I can't imagine him wanting to go back into the Red Bull program or nor them wanting him over another young driver. Does Alba like does a seat somehow open up at Williams or Haas? Maybe, but like dude, I really don't know if he doesn't go to Alpine that there's a more likely scenario other than him ending up in another formula. And the answer to that is NASCAR or IndyCar. So, Gerald, I think I think we got a chance here of a real crystal ball moment, and I just needed to self dunk a little bit. I I'll be honest, I thought you were nuts when you said that at the beginning. Did you put money on that? Did you? Did no, you make there any was kind no of pro- gamble. The DraftKings had nothing of the sort. No I, prop know, bets I, on that. I, try, I, I tried oh, to man. do like the Deutsche Bank and like the big short thing and like create my own market for this thing, this crazy ass derivative that I was trying to spin out. But nobody was nobody wanted to make a market with me. Nobody was buying. Know? No, nobody, nobody wanted selling. Either, either side of that deal. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh wow. I mean, yeah, the prognostication there is absurd. But <laughs> look, I, I mean, my thought would be, yes, it goes to Alpine, but I mean, that's the best odds that they have. It's kind of funny because it's almost as though Ricardo should have never left Alpine to begin with. It was just like a bad dream. Like Miss Time. Should have never McLaren left Red just, Bull, dude. He should have never left I mean, Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about that more this weekend as well, because you're totally right. That was the beginning of beginning of the end. Unfortunately for him, you know, when you're one of 20 guys and you're a race winner at that point, like who, who when do you think, oh, my gosh, yeah, I'm going up against this like generational talent and like I need to acquiesce and like accept a number two driver like position if I ever want to be fighting for podiums again. You know, it's just hard to I probably have that mindset, but well, all right. It, philosophically, are, are you more in favor of a guy being a number one driver at a mid a mid pack team or a number two driver at a front running team. Philosophically, like which of those two would you choose? I realize there's a lot of nuance. At the end of the day, both of those suck. I'd rather be the number one driver at a great team. Well, um, obviously, Joe, but-, but that's not the point of the question. <laughs> Pick one, gun to your head. Um, I mean, I'd I'd rather be at a better team at a better organization, right? I mean, it, the opportunities same. that Perez has, he is on the podium. He's exposed to a high-functioning operation, better development program. He's, Putting fans in the stands. I don't see a lot of, you know, I see a lot more Perez things this year than I did Ricardo. Be associated with a great brand. Your sponsors are going to, your personal sponsors are going to love that too. I'm sure that Telesal is through the moon that Sergio Perez has got the Red Bull name. Well, next when you think about what you, what you can do next then as well. Yeah, I mean, your, your personal brand just skyrockets from being on, you know, being center stage all the time. So yeah, I'd rather be at the top team. And it's it's got to be more fun fighting for podiums or fighting fighting for wins than, you know, I don't know. The midfield battles look pretty fun as well, but um, I don't know. It's always nice to be at the front. So, and then nobody's like, nobody's going to really be c- criticizing Perez for not winning races. It's like, yeah, you got second. All good. Like, good job. Well, dude, that's the thing is like Perez is got gapped by Verstappen as bad or worse this weekend than Gasly or Albon ever were, and nobody is bitching at him because I mean, but of this the relative was team absurd. It was like everyone right. From this was practice new. Like okay, yeah. well, this race is over, even though he's starting from the back. Like the dude did one one lap in Q three and just went to the garage and like had a donut. <laughs> well, 
let's get back to that because we got we got a lot to cover and unpack there. But um, I mean, I just want to go back to one more point on the on the teams, and then we can move ahead, which is simulating wargaming that the rest of that out. And so, I mean, my question with the whole yes, okay, maybe Al Ricardo isn't their first choice. Maybe Gasly is. But then what what does Alfatari have to gain by releasing Gasly? Because I think he's already signed for next year, right? They're under no obligation to let him go. Money. And let they're gonna make Alpine I mean, that's it. It's finan- it's financial return. Yeah, it's financial return at this point because they're not competitive. You know, Sonoda is not a very sticky seat either. It's like a total it's like it's like Alfred Towery's way of going into a total rebuild phase, right? Like they're just gonna get money. And and I'll tell you what, like Alpine's probably going to be a pretty rich buyer considering how much they're probably going to get off of Piastri in terms of financial compensation for the leverage they likely still do have and kind of how that contract came down. So, Oh, you think they just parlay the, the Piastri money into, uh, to Gasly. That's what any good general manager does is works both sides of the transaction. So I, I think that they're. I think that's what they're in court for right now. Is they're in court for compensation? They know they're not gonna. They're not gonna force Piastri to sit in that seat. I mean, think about well, how that, yeah. toxic that would, so that would be. Yeah, yeah, for the engineering team, for everybody involved, I mean, it'd be horrible. So, I don't think that's an option. They're just trying to get compensated so they can go throw money at the guy they really want and then get him out of his contract at AlphaTauri, which Gasly obviously doesn't want to beat AlphaTauri anymore. I can't imagine that he does. Yeah, well, and that's gonna make. AlphaTauri sort of the the next interesting storyline because what do they do? You'd have to, I mean, that fortunately for Sonoda, who was a bit on the hot seat, like that might lock him in just to have some stability. And then, you know, the other one that's been batted around is what happens with Schumacher is he's not solidified anywhere yet. So he was batted around for Alpine, but I would think it's almost more likely that Gasly goes to Alpine and then potentially Schumacher gets pulled up in into a, an AlphaTauri seat, if anything. Yeah, but that would require Schumacher to go from Ferrari development to Red Bull development unless they do a kind of like a loaned thing like what they did with Albon, which would be a little bit squirrely. I don't know. It's so hard to know when those contracts are not public at all. But um, I mean, the whole the whole game has been blown wide open. So I think it feels like anything goes at this point. I, I just can't see. I can't see Ricardo back at Alpine. I just think it would be so weird. Um, and And he has like. He he could genuinely he's he seems like a guy that gets he he knows how to work the media he gets like personal brand strategy like he seems to have a very good grasp on that yep and so to me man like if he was smart he would look at the growing popularity of racing in the United States in general and he would he would use his personal brand in Formula One to extend into another U.S. popular formula and like really make some serious money like in the U S market specifically outside of his actual racing contracts. So you think like if I'm him, closed, you think he just closed the book on, on F one and, and sells out. I mean, like anything, you got to get through the grieving process personally to realize that like it's over. I mean, as recently as July, he put out a, you know, a tweet that he was doubling down. The team was committed to performance. And you know what? I'm sure at the time everybody believed that. And then Vettel retired. So like it's, you know, you gotta you gotta adjust, and I think that's the smartest move for him at this stage. Um, I just don't know what else he has to gain. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it depends where his heart is, right? It, the man's not short of money at this point. Um, he's driving somewhere for free, basically. It's a question of 
do you want to give up on the the F1? Is he more of an Alonzo or more like someone else? Because I I mean, I know me personally, I'd rather be in the seat and I'd rather keep doing doing the race, right? But how many times in 2022 have you checked on any form of media the results of a NASCAR race? Once. And how many times do you think you would have done it had Daniel Ricciardo been in one of the cars? I mean, because the only time I checked was because of the whole Raikkonen race at Watkins Glen, so more there you go but honestly i think that i think the novelty wears off of that pretty quick like i i think i did it because it was an intrigue and i just wanted to see like relative performance and it was like yeah pretty good but would i like tune into nascar all the time because of that no probably not at all i would be more likely to watch indycar more than nascar more now nascar seems to be like pushing to evolve a little bit more to do more street tracks and and sort of be a, have a bit more dynamic races, but I don't know. I, you might be overestimating how much that pulls in other sport, broad, other audiences, but I didn't become an LA galaxy fan when they signed David Beckham. Right. But God, he made a shit ton of money from American sponsors. Like it's a story people will buy. Like, sure. You're capitalizing on the hype train. You're not actually like doing a ton in terms of like permanent, like viewership of the sport. But I, I'm just talking about if I'm Daniel Ricardo. And I know that I'm resided to my racing career being capped at a certain level. And that level is now defined to multi-race winner, made it on a leading team, was never a world champion. You can blame it on a lot of different things. Now, if I'm Daniel Ricciardo, I'm trying to stay in the racing game and monetize in any racing game and monetize the value of my personal brand to the maximum. That's what I'm trying to do. I know that everybody's not money motivated, but to me, that just seems like the best route for him. Again, if it, if if he's concerned about the commercialization and personal brand, yes. If he wants to race, I think he tries to get a spot at Alpine or Alphatari. But all right, sorry, I beat I beat that one dead. We should probably move on. I expected nothing less from you, honestly. Um, last but not least, we just got to spend a moment on on McLaren. I mean, what is your take on just their cutthroat approach to poaching Piastri away from Alpine? I actually don't I don't really view it as that cutthroat, honestly, because and and, and and to be totally honest, I I think that listening to the Ricardo video and the messaging from McLaren, they have kind of successfully framed this departure as like a man, we really like you, we really tried, everybody wanted it to work, and it didn't. And given how hard the decision probably was to make, I'm actually kind of impressed by that. Oh, I meant more of the stealing Piastri away. I I have no qualms about cutting Ricardo. Absolutely. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, should have. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, clearly, you know, Daddy Brown has got some got some teeth for sure, which is why he's got the job that he does. He's a shark. Um, I think in terms of like business savvy, he's probably number three on the grid of the team principal rankings in terms of willing to be most ruthless. Um, which is maybe a ranking we should flesh out one of these days. Uh, yeah, he's up there. I'm not surprised by it at all. Yeah, I, I, I guess I just don't even understand all of like the, the qualms that people had about Ricardo being cut. It's like, why are we surprised? It's a by business, this? man. At, yeah. at what point did he demonstrate that he should be on that team? Yeah. Also, like, I'll not shed a tear for Ricardo because he's probably going to get paid twenty five million dollars to not race in F one next year. So. You know, that's why contracts exist. They protect the drivers. The teams enter into them with full knowledge of what the risks are. And McLaren's found a way to work themselves out of it financially, and they pulled the trigger because they're sick of losing to Alpine on the basis of a bad second driver. And I would be too. So 
Alpine would not be a more desirable team than McLaren if it wasn't for Daniel Ricciardo's relatively poor driver performance. Seriously. You would not talk about McLaren as a worse team to be on relative performance if they didn't have Daniel Ricciardo. If they just had somebody kind of close, if they still had Carlos Sainz, they would, be, they would be beating Alpine in the constructors. And we wouldn't be talking like this about Alpine. I mean, maybe, but yeah, if, if Alonso didn't have some of the worst reliability issues, then, you know, same, same. So that's um, part of the sport, but you do choose your drivers anyway. All right. That's true. Sorry. That's true. Um, all right. I think with that, we, we've talked a lot about the driver market. What do you think we get into some some team recaps and, and move on to Spa from the weekend? Sounds great to me, man. I love Spa. It's my favorite. Tra- one of my favorite tracks. Oh, same. It's got to be top top three. Um, and apparently the drivers feel similarly. So, um, and, and also to all the debate of, oh, they don't have enough space to like either get people there. I mean, they still had 350,000 oh, fans. So yeah, screw that dude. What, it's the in the middle of Europe. Yeah. Like what, what's the complaint here? I, I'm they just put it. $60 million into the actual grounds itself. So yeah, what do you if, want if, do? if, if we lose spa on the F1 calendar on the basis of tracks like Miami coming in and taking up room with all this pomp and circumstance, that'll be a real tragedy. Spa is one of the ones that I absolutely do not want to see go because it is, it is very unique, uh, arguably like too easy to overtake, but I wouldn't even go quite that far myself personally. Um, and it's also, like, frankly, pretty dangerous. And I don't mind having tracks in places where it rains pretty often. And the middle of the Arden Forest is, like, a great spot for that. So there's really not a whole lot of weaknesses in my view. Gra- there's a lot of gravel. It's a, it's, a, it's a track that enforces track limits very well, kind of self-enforcing to some degree. So you don't get a bunch of, like, stupid FIA controversy typical weekends other than, you know, when there's rain delays like last year. But Yeah, they, I mean, they were quiet on, on track limits the whole the whole yeah, weekend, but the track <laughs> limit was the gravel. <laughs> Graham, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Come around to my my way of thinking. In with the old, out with the new. Uh, well, and I think Lawrence Barreto talked about it a bit this weekend as well, and, and just affirming the perspective of y- you got to have a mix of both. R- rotate in some other new tracks, give some exposure to other countries, but you can't totally do away with the the staples of the sport and the history of the sport as well. So um, it seems like that's a a increasingly prevailing mindset or maybe that's been the mindset all along but hopefully that hopefully that persists but um all right well we ran through the recap a little bit again dominance from from red bull this weekend at the start um you know now up 118 points on ferrari picked up 21 this week alone for stopping is 93 points clear of perez um who are running first and second in the driver's championship um so Pretty dominating overall. Um, when we look at, just to recap the whole weekend, I mean, practice, they were miles ahead of Ferrari the entire time. Perez struggled a lot of practice, but brought it together in FP3 and ultimately topped the timesheets um, just before qualifying. Um, and then interesting, in, in qualifying itself, as you said, for stopping only one lap in Q3. And the only like top performing team not to use their two drivers to to provide a slipstream. Um, so yeah, that was pretty surprising. I I, I really thought they were going to give Perez a toe to get in front of signs, but I guess at the end of the day, it didn't matter all that much because they knew that Perez was going to be able to overtake him anyway if he started behind him. So 
I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think they were worried about it in general. I also think they probably assumed he should have been able to put up a time to get in front of signs. But then they, you know, they give you the whole answer like, well, maybe it's better we start in second. I'm like, let's be honest. Everyone always wants to start in first. That's only ever a consolation, like rationale for your underperformance. Especially a track like Spa where the rundown to turn one is so short and turn one is typically very chaos ridden, you know? And you're on the inside, right? Totally. So I, yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't buy that one maybe as much as it's another as another tracks where you actually are starting on the on the inside. So um but yeah, I mean, and interestingly, I mean, I don't think they've I don't think they've provided a toe or used any kind of teamwork in qualifying really at any point in the last two seasons since Perez has been on the team. And that is typically his weak spot. So, oh, well, hold on. They towed they towed Verstappen in uh, Qatar late last year pretty deliberately. And actually, I remember when he got pole, that very unexpected pole he had in Qatar and then Hamilton ended up overtaking him, won the race. But Perez towed the hell out of him in Qatar. Yeah, well, and I guess I just don't understand because oftentimes, like, a sp- Max is usually so high up there at times. Like, I don't know. They've they've been other times where it's been a position where they could have given Perez one, and they just never do. And this one seemed like an obvious one when Max put up a top time. Leclerc clearly couldn't match, and he was moving to the back of the grid. So seems yeah. like a weird a weird miss on the team who is seemingly doing everything else right and and making capitalizing on every other move. So, um, but then into the race, so Perez with uh, just, again, a terribly poor start. I I don't know if it's just off the line or if he doesn't get temperature into the tires. It's just angle. He he pointed his car like before. I mean, he was pointed so far to the right, like so far to the right. I thought he was going to run Alonzo into the grandstands. I really did. I mean, well, Max does that a lot as well, but I mean, he just got totally swallowed up. Um, but yeah, Max does that, but then he get, he gets off the line. <laughs> like, I don't think your angle. I don't think your angle like d- just detracts from your ability to take off. But fortunately, I mean, he got really lucky with the the ha- Hamilton and Alonso incident, able to recover all of those positions. He got and very lucky, also that he didn't get collected by Hamilton on the track reentry. I mean, that was close, very close. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he. he he made lap one hard on himself. Meanwhile, Verstappen made up six places on, on lap one, I believe, and, and getting up to eighth place, um, you know, three, three positions before turn one, he just rocketed off the line, passing Botas, Latifi and Schumacher lapped one car per or passed one car per lap, basically until he was in first. Essentially. <laughs> well, and the thing that I was most interesting watching his lap one was, you know, he was alongside Albon going into, um, the, the first straight and you saw him pull pull off there um because he knew he wasn't going to pass and there was another point where albon and stroll were like pinching him off or, or when stroll went off the track because i think vettel forced him wide you know he he backed off there as well and so i just he really he knows, knows game, his dude. position he knows the game he's just dialed in risk mitigation at this point ton of maturity so i mean yeah and then so I guess the question is, you know, with dominance that we see today, does, is this pretty much the nail in the coffin of killing any hopes that Perez had a, at a shot at a title shot? I I never would have bought into the fact that Perez even had hopes to begin with, to be totally honest with you. Yeah, I think he had uh, some hopes. Well, obviously, he still does. That's what you have to say. Leclerc has hopes, too. Shit, Mick Schumacher probably has hopes of winning the driver. <laughs> I don't know. Let's be honest. But. I think he officially te- I think he officially no longer has hope. I think that was sealed after this last race. I'm going to tell you right now, both of these championships are over. These things are done. 
They are over. There is no chance anyone's catching Verstappen. I think the guess is now basically which weekend is it going to be mathematically over. I've heard some people say they think it could happen as early as Singapore, which would mean that you literally race four to five victory races essentially at the end of the year, which would be pretty nutty. People used to complain a lot about Hamilton running away with championships and making them unentertaining on a relative basis, dude. If he wraps this up with five races to go, that is going to be utterly dominant and on a relatively unprecedented scale. I'd have to go back and look at the like the week of the calendar that Hamilton wrapped up. I know in 2018 he had a close fight with Ferrari. I mean, he's had several close fights in that seven-year run. So it, on a relative performance basis, it would be very imp- – this could be very impressive in terms of how many races left uh, we have. And then the constructors, man, like – yeah, look, like there's just no team performing on an all-around basis better than Red Bull. They have seemed to have remedied their reliability issues, you know, more than basically most teams at the front. And, um, yeah, I mean, Perez is doing enough. They've got the best car with the best arrow, and their second driver is doing enough, and that's all they need to do. So it, it, this thing's over, dude, way, way over. Well, and, and I mean, especially if they have any kind of dominance like they did in this last race, but – but do you, like so many others, think that this was largely a, a track fit, you know, second, arguably second or third fastest track on the calendar? Or or do you think that's going to extrapolate out into some other races as well? I've heard, so I think like like anything, it's a combination of things. But I've also heard, you know how going into this weekend, everybody thought that the, the plank, the ride height technical regulation was going to hurt Red Bull because everybody had assumed that they had figured out a way to keep their car super low without it porpoising. And that, and so if they raised the height, it was going to screw them. I think it ended up, it could have been the opposite. I mean, Horner said going into the weekend that the technical reg would have no impact on him. So I bet most of it was track specific. Like I think that the RB 18 was literally designed for spa, like intentionally or not. I, I, I genuinely think like two high speed sectors out of three that track, the RB 18 was built for it, but I've also heard a theory that it could just be that they're they've developed an aero philosophy that just makes that car more comfortable at higher ride heights without giving up downforce. Which who the hell knows how they've done it? No idea, but they have. And um, you know, if anything, sure they're good at spa, but like I don't know. They could also have taken a step forward developmentally. And apparently, they've got a new ch- a lighter chassis coming out before Zandvoort. Like. Their foot's still on the gas, so not a great look for anybody trying to catch them, and I don't think anybody will. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, I have not been able to decipher the impacts of all the floor talk, and and I'm not sure anybody else has. Nobody has. Else has either, but but it seems like with with what they brought this weekend, I mean, there has to be both. I mean, the engine had to be better performing as well. I mean, because hardly at any point was Perez even able to match pace they didn't really have a ton of aero things but i mean yeah they're still one of the heaviest cars on the grid so once they're able to further strip weight as well i mean it's yeah and and now they've got another engine in verstappen's allocation so it it's unlikely unless they have something unknown happen in reliability that they have to take another grid penalty for him for power units i mean remember like some teams late in the year take engine penalties because they don't have a choice this week was one of those weeks where everybody knew Spa was high for overtaking, and so teams took penalties strategically just to add engine components to their allocation. Because you, they put the fourth engine basically in Verstappen's car, and then next week they're going to pull it right back out, probably, and then run two or three right for the next two or three races. So, well, I mean, it was either it was either this race or Monza, and it was almost like if everyone else is doing it, you might as well do it now because you end up in the well, same yeah. exact 
spot as you would have have. So how how many seconds would he have won by if he'd have started on pole? Well, I mean, several, but I mean, he cut through the field about as fast as he could have. I mean, he was as efficient as imaginable. So maybe not a ton more, but but um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty scary. Pretty scary thought. Perez Perez wasn't in his pit window for sure. If he starts no, well, the front. and and I think the thing I liked the most was the fact that he went long on that first stint. I mean, rarely on does softs. He, on softs, rarely does is he the one to to pit last. And I mean, you watch the likes of Hamilton do that, and it always puts him in an advantageous position. And so, I mean, if he can race like that, pit last, it's he's going to be untouchable for sure. All right, should we move on to Ferrari? Oh yes, please. So just to recap, Ferrari. Third and fifth, I mean, sixth place. Oops. Um, And not on my part, but an oops on their part. Uh, Now just 41 points ahead of Mercedes, but they opened up the gap by 11 this week, uh, finishing. Now they're sitting third and fourth in constructors. Leclerc lost five points to Perez and is now just 15 points ahead of Sainz, uh, who he lost seven to this week. So, I mean, the gap just continues to close between Leclerc and signs. And once again, you know, he could very well finish behind his teammate this season. Um, and look, while, while the team has a lot to do with that signs was strong all weekend in pra- in practice, despite the team never having the pace. And Leclerc was the one to spin out in Q3, I believe made contact with the wall. Um, and fortunately for him, no significant damage, but once again, he's the one on the edge you know, leading to questions about whether he cannot, he can put in a clean weekend. So almost self-inflicted damage there. I mean, fortunately he was taking brand new engine components. So, you know, any extra ones wouldn't have really wouldn't have hurt him, but, um, you know, the team throughout qualifying, showing some good teamwork, um, Leclerc helping give signs a toe. Um, but the, in qualifying the team's first sort of glimmer of, of, a of a screw up once again with the whole, uh, putting on new tires before Leclerc gives him a slipstream and, and basically Leclerc having to ask like, what are these tires only to have the team say, Oh yeah, sorry. That was, that was a mistake. So, I mean, at least they're admitting failure now. I mean, that has to be considered a, a step in the right direction in terms of no. um, team management, right? No, no. You don't give them any fact, credit for uh, being more candid wh- about their whatever, failures? Whatever credit I could possibly zoom in and give them for that, I'm going to completely negate by the fact that they asked Leclerc which tire he wanted for the second stint of the race, which to me is just a sign that you have no confidence in your strategy team and you've outsourced the risk of all decisions to somebody who has fundamentally less data about what tire is appropriate than your pit wall does. So that is embarrassing. The fact that they literally came on the right, they, Charles, do you want medium tire for such and such stint or hard tire for such and such stint? First off, even Martin Brundle came on the broadcast and was like, they're giving way too much away in race strategy by presenting that much information to their driver. And second off, it should not be the driver's call. No other team is coming onto the radio. They're asking for input from drivers. Like, what do you feel about this and that? But they don't come on the radio and just present a fucking menu of tire options and just let the driver decide from the cockpit like that to me shows they have no confidence on that pit wall at all well so one thing i'll say is they do at times ask for feedback on how they feel on certain tires and so they will ask for input but i mean both for leclerc and signs they were way too candid about 
what tire they should go to or what they were switching to several laps before they actually did. Um, and it was abundantly clear what plan D was, right? You know, so... They, you know what I genuinely think it was? I think it's as simple as this, which is sad. They got gun shy because they fucked the hard tire a month ago and then got super sheepish and weren't willing to tell Charles that he was going back on the hard tire. You know, despite the fact that everyone in the field who had put the hard tire on already this week had validated it was a good race tire because, oh, the sun was out and the track temperatures were higher. No kidding. Like, it's just not that hard to understand. And But yet they're so gun-shy because they don't want to disappoint their golden boy that they're going to present him options and let him pick on the radio as the ultimate way of passing the buck. It is disgusting. It, like... How can you have that many highly compensated race strategists on a pit wall and and not be able to make a proactive call on tire strategy? It doesn't make sense to me. They, like, Red Bull is not letting Max Verstappen pick his tires. Say what you want about, like, his demeanor on Team Radio, but that dude does not pick his tire strategy. Well, and, and even and hard tire concern aside, I mean... Yeah, I agree with you. It seems like the whole strategy altogether was they were gun shy. And, you know, I guess until they decide to be aggressive and bring him in for fast slap at the end of the race. (laughs) Well, well, so let's let's debrief Leclerc, too, because first off, I mean, could the guy be any more unlucky? He gets a tear off from Verstappen, presumably, you know, on lap one stuck in his brake duct. So, I mean, Verstappen is firing on he is firing on all cylinders out here playing Mario Kart, dropping <laughs> tear offs for his, you know, dropping banana peels for his team uh, opponents behind him. I mean, genius move on his part. But um, so that happens. That sends uh, while Max is continuing to cut through the field. Leclerc sent to the back of the grid. Now he has to be stuck in a couple of DRS trains just to claw his way back up to the front does. So gets all the way back up to fifth. Despite that, you know, a clean race throughout have his team come on the radio the last second to last lap and ask him to to come in for the fastest lap and on the radio he says i don't think it's worth the risk but if you guys want to do it we can but i don't think we should do it and they respond box child box he comes in and who's running the numbers because he comes out side by side with Alonzo on pit exit. Yeah, on like a 2.4 second pit pit stop length. It's not like it was a bad stop. No, it was a perfect, it was a quick stop. And he still came out basically behind Alonzo at the end of the straight and had to fight him to get in front to then potentially have the, the fastest lap, which he didn't get. And then after the race, you know, so he still finished on Alonzo. But the whole point was for him to get one extra point only to get penalized for speeding in the pit lane to then fall behind Alonzo and lose two points. So, I I mean, who didn't run the numbers and realize that the pit window wasn't large enough? They have no ability to discern on that pit wall how to calibrate and calculate risk, and they're not definitive. They're defi- they're definitive and and aren't abil- like have no ability to defer to their drivers when they uh when they need to, and they're Totally deferential when they don't need to be. It's, it's like they're getting it wrong in every direction. Like, it's just, there's like literally no good. There is, you've, you've been harder on Bonato probably earlier on this season than I have, but I'm totally there now. Like, I think you got to burn it down, burn the whole pit wall down, start from scratch from a strategy standpoint, and just clean house. Cause it, they couldn't be less functional on the pit wall if they tried. 
They literally couldn't be less functional. I mean, they nearly they nearly had a good weekend. I mean, the whole the whole qualifying tire thing aside, fine. But like the <sighs> rest of the re- weekend seemed pretty flawless, only to have them throw it away. It's like they couldn't resist doing something stupid until the la- even on the last lap. And if Hamilton hadn't cut into Alonso, Mercedes would have took another chunk out of him this weekend. So I mean, it's I'm I'm still not ruling that out. And again, I think part of that was because how unlucky he was with the tear off. But look, I as as stupid as the team was because they should know that he was not far enough ahead to safely pit um, and come out ahead of Alonzo. At the end of the day, like I, I think, unfortunately, as sheepish as the team has been, Leclerc has been as well. I mean, I just noticed it all throughout practice and qualifying. He just seemed like very quiet and i don't know if like he's been doing some like mental exercises and trying to be like in a very zen state but he seemed like extremely subdued throughout the whole weekend but then when asked about tires or asked about that like he's also not putting his foot down either so he's equally acquiescing to a team whose strategy he knows is not good i mean he knew it with the fastest lap and yet he didn't say no i'm good let's finish the race like Unlike Signs, who is still more forceful, he is still more proactive about asking about, you know, when something happens and Perez is closing on him, he's like, all right, well, what are we going to do? Like, what's the move here? He is yeah. pushing the strategy. He is challenging it, whereas Leclerc seems to just be like totally acquiescing and he doesn't. And and so I wouldn't fault him at all if he makes a decision now and it's the wrong one, but at least he's doing something. And unfortunately, he he, he seems to have taken his hands off off the wheel as well. So nobody's nobody's steering the ship over there. No, his two biggest areas of growth as a driver is one, just being consistent and making less mistakes. He's incredibly fast, but he's risky. Even on like he's you know, I, I think it was um Paul DeResta made a pretty, I think, accurate but damning evaluation of Leclerc uh post qualifying, which is just like, look, it it's great to be fast on a single lap, but if you're not consistent, you're not a world champion driver. And I think I just Leclerc's not there. And um yeah, and then the other one is to your point. He's got to become more assertive on team radio and be more opinionated and actually do things to influence the outcome of the race other than taking quick lines around the track. So, yeah. All right, anything else on uh, on them? No, I've said my piece on Ferrari. I'd, I'd oh, like to man. move off. I I honestly like couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, I, this episode's going to be boring. I, you know, they've, they've done a great job. And then sure as shit, they call him in and just totally blow it um priceless um you know speaking of the tear off too just to cover that off it's interesting because it made me wonder um if this had come up before and and if they thought about it apparently you know some folks had shared some articles of you know some debate in 2016 of do they stop allowing drivers to do that they i guess had batted around drivers sticking them in the cockpit but there's not a great way to do that very seamlessly but it just seems like a silly problem to have and there would be an easier easier solution my thought was sticking it in the cockpit but apparently that's harder to do than than not but i mean once you drop it in there doesn't it just like fly to the back of your cock it's not going anywhere right but it seems like a silly thing to have have ruined many drivers races in the past and still an issue i don't know about i don't know about many uh all right more than three more than zero yeah more than zero yeah i i don't know i it's I, I don't really know what the answer is. Like, could you come up with some stuff that's like biodegradable and dissolves when it comes off of the visor? You know, I, maybe I have no idea, but 
I, you know, I don't know if there's another solution other than something that could be torn off that gives a driver the optionality to like clear their their field of view in the middle of a race. Because if you if you if you make it something that requires more hand movement from them to clear their vision, it's arguably more dangerous because you're taking more time off the steering wheel with one hand. Whereas like I'd actually never seen until I watched the onboard where they were showing like the Verstappen, like verifying that it was Verstappen's tear off that hit Leclerc. They showed like what it looks like for the drivers to like rip them off. And I mean, Verstappen was like, I mean, he took his hand off the wheel real quick, just made one quick motion. It was over. And he like had the thing. So I think that the, they're always going to prioritize making sure that drivers can remove them without having to remove their hands from the wheel for very long. And like, on that basis, I just don't know what else you do other than just change the materials so that they, you know, well, I don't know. First lap was a nightmare. Break apart or dissolve. With how much dirt there was. And I mean, Stroll went off track right in front of both of them uh, yeah. before that last turn going into the final straight. And that's where, I mean, because Leclerc pulled his, his strip off at the same exact time as, as Verstappen did. So, I mean, it was clearly best practice. So not, not quite the master strategy as, as I'd like to think it was for Verstappen. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move to Mercedes because um, a bit of a mixed, very mixed weekend for them. I mean, generally negative, but I mean, still having Russell uh, finish in fourth. So, um, like, they struggled all weekend long, struggled through practice, unable to get temperature into the tires with the, the cloudy, cold days. Um, similar story in qualifying as well. And then, for, you know, they're just incredibly lucky that the race conditions were were different. Um, far warmer weather. Both drivers got an amazing start off the line, swallowing up Perez early. Um, but with Hamilton sort of moving along the the outside of Alonso uh, in the first sort of after the first straight and getting his his back tire hit on Alonso, which you know with Alonso on the inside, we've seen Hamilton sort of pull that move so many times in the past rubbing up somebody's tire, you know, whether you call Verstappen at Silverstone or, you know, Albon, anytime the poor guy was in a top three position. Um, so basically this weekend, Hamilton, Hamilton himself, um, and admittedly totally his fault. He, he was gracious enough to accept full fault afterwards. Didn't even get caught up in, you know, Alonzo had a pretty, a pretty feisty statement immediately on the radio that, you know, basically Hamilton can't drive or race from any position other than first, which I think is a statement that I estimated early on at points, but I mean, still very unfair and very unfair. Um, heat of the moment type comment. I mean, whatever. but I think, I think totally just goes to, and then, you know, Hamilton afterwards on Instagram has this massive post you know, almost as though he was like caught up in some sort of like crazy controversy, just apologizing to everybody, which um, I think shows his own personal standards. But also, I mean, think about that team. The team doesn't have I mean, we just spent 20 minutes on Ferrari talking about what a shit show they are. Meanwhile, you you actually make an active mistake on Mercedes. That's the only thing that there is to talk about. Other than that, strategy, good. Other other than their aero philosophy in general. But yeah. Generally, yes. people don't mess up much at Mercedes. I, I point taken. So, I mean, the flawlessness, I mean, really calls that to account and, you know, and and rightly so falls on the sword. So you got to give him credit for that. And I can't imagine anybody takes it harder than himself. I mean, what is that like his third, you know, self-inflicted DNF in, you know, a number Never of happens. years? I mean, just cr- crazy. So, Never happens. Yeah. No, then, I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. Like, can I just take? comment on that quickly? Yeah. I was just yeah. going to say, I, 
the most impressive part of that to me was to your point, him shutting down the reporter who was about to quote Alonzo. Um, you know, it takes a lot of maturity to just immediately. It's like, you don't even have to hear what he said. It's like, look, I know that guy made a heat of the moment comment in the race. And I'm not even interested in like you putting that on the airways and he shut it down, which was a super mature move. Um, it's one thing to like have the reporter say it and you kind of like pass it off and not respond and be mad at Alonzo in the moment. But like, he didn't even let the, he didn't even let the reporter, I can't remember which one it was. I don't think it was Natalie Pinkham. It was somebody else, but um, yeah, he didn't even let her say it, which to me, it was super impressive. So man, class act overall all the time. And then Russell, I mean, another solid drive, quiet, made it happen, nearly had a chance at signs at the end for a podium, but made one small mistake and, and that went out the window. But overall, what is it? I think he's finished top five every single race other than the one where he made contact with Joe. Yeah, and Silverstone. He's, been, he's been third, fourth, or fifth in every race this year except for one DNF, which is wild. Like wild consistency in a very, a very temperamental car. Yep. Um, so, I mean, great weekend for them or for Russell in particular, but yeah, I mean, if it weren't for, for Hamilton's mistake, I mean, they very well closed the gap on, on Ferrari even more, but I think Hamilton knew they, he, he missed a big opportunity here and, and made his own life harder, but also a bit harder for the team as well. So, um, a team who did not make their lives harder just to, to touch briefly. And then we'll, we'll look to Zanvor, but Alpine taking it to McLaren. Once again, both drivers finishing five and, and seventh, both ahead of McLaren widening the lead. Um, Alonzo with a phenomenal race, despite his hostile remarks towards Hamilton. And then I just had to call out, you know, I, I got to throw some praise at Ocon cause I know you certainly won't, but the man had two double passes during the race, um, which just, crazy crazy moves so i mean while hamilton might not be able to race wheel to wheel certainly ocon can oh shut up dude come on <laughs> the double pass at spa is like yawn <laughs> come on literally uh, like I, nah. anyway all right well for uh i'd also like to make a proposal that now that kimmy raikkonen is off the grid i think ocon has the worst media presence of any driver on the grid right now in terms of Plain Jane, vanilla, ooh. Nothing you say is outrageously entertaining. You don't make me laugh. You're not controversial. You are a vanilla wafer. I mean, it's got to be between him and the Canadians, right? That's true. Okay, fine. He's in a group of three at the bottom of the grid in terms of media presence. Which allows us to shit on the French and the Canadians. Perfect. I'm all They're for one it. and the same, basically, right? I mean, have you been to Montreal? Yes, you have. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. All right, man. Well, I think that closes out closes out Spa. Absolutely deserves to be on the calendar. Let's keep it. Looking ahead to Zandvoort. Well, do you remember? I'm just gonna say, like, I I mean, Tuesday of last week, I thought it was gonna rain all weekend. I was hoping. And for then, it, man. yeah, and then we got no rain and. You know, even with a mixed grid. Oh, actually, before you... Sorry, I know I just said... I, I sent you a text, like, offline. I was like, hey, we should probably start moving faster. <laughs> Here, I'm now just going to rush us along. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> well, actually, me just, look like it, the idiot. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to stay on this for too long, but I do want to know if you think... So we had five cars take uh, engine allocation or other type of reliability grid penalties and go back to the grid. Uh, it got a lot of traction on Sky. They kept shitting on the idea. It's like, well, what's the point of qualifying if everyone's just going to be at the back of the grid anyway? Do you think that this is this whole 
strategically taking penalties and having five cars in one race do it. Is that out of control? Does it need to be stopped? Does it make qualifying pointless? Well, first, they didn't seem to have a problem when Botas and Hamilton took like 12 engines at the end of last season. Um, and sure, there was a lot of teams that did it, but I think it made for an interesting, more exciting race. And what Agreed. happened one race after the summer break? I mean, is that totally unprecedented? I mean, yes, if that happened every week, but the cost cap and the penalties like just don't allow for that, really. So I, I, I can't see it becoming like a systemic problem. Yeah, well, we've got commentators complaining about that out of one side of their mouth, and then the other side of the mouth, they're saying, well, why don't we try a reverse grid format for a race weekend so we can have the good drivers at the back of the grid and see them come through the field? I'm like, what's the difference? Like, so, yeah, I think it's it's good in moderation, you yeah, know? It, it, it's a good element that switches things up. I, yeah, I, I think it's a moot. I think it was absurd. All point. right. I wanted, I wanted, I, I thought you might have a different view on that, but thank you for humoring me. If there's a chance where I can disagree with the commentators about anything, uh, that's my default position. So, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. All right. Zambort. Uh, Zambort. Yeah. Let's, uh, well, first off, let's close out this week on, on personal podium and DMF, uh, for personal podium for me, I, I had to give it to Albon. I mean, great and quality. Yeah, that's respectful. Yeah. Like he, um, when when the Williams sucks, both drivers seem to be brought down. But when it's positioned well on any given weekend or track, Albon shows that he's in a different class from Latifi. And while Latifi didn't make it out of Q1, Albon made it all the way up to Q3. So, And he bumped out Vettel in Q1. He bumped out Ricardo in Q2. So, I mean, he was just the... He was putting the dagger in everybody this weekend. And then in the race, I mean, I'm going to start calling him the conductor because he was leading a couple of trains that weekend and I mean, just holding up stroll, holding up Nora. So, I mean, he, he definitely got the most out of that car. I mean, he even kept it going with a couple of lockups in that last stint. So, I mean, ultimately got his big one point. So credit to credit to him this weekend. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, Williams almost kind of looked a little bit like Alpine at Jetta where it was yep. just like their philosophy was, we're going to have a rocket ship in the straights and you're not gonna be able to do anything about it. I mean, he was the fastest car Made in sense. sector one. The Williams with a Mercedes engine was the fastest car in sector one, which reinforces for me, Gerald, that the Mercedes issues are not about the power unit at all. It is all aero philosophy and the ground effect of those cars because that engine in another car with a lesser integration between chassis, power unit, and aero is a rocket ship in the straights when it wants to be. So I'm not going to hear any of that. This is... It's an aero-dominated engineering battle right now, and Red Bull's winning it. So, well, and and it'll be interesting to see what M- Mercedes does because they got enough glimmers of hope that that led them to believe that there was a prospect that they could turn it around with that philosophy. But I mean, I think they're Williams scrapping this car. I think they're scrapping yeah. this car. I don't think you're going to see your jet fighter side pods next year when they roll out. In, uh, so you don't think they're going to bring any more um, body upgrades either then? You think they're all just, you think they pivot to, to next season at this point and, and start to rethink things? I think they're dangerous. I think they're very, we'll see how Zambor goes. We're going to get Zambor. I think that's going to be a track much more suited to their strengths for sure. So um, smooth bank turns, you know, slower speed to mid speed kind of corners. So, but even knows? so, um, even if it is though, you can't bank your your philosophy on Zamvort as unique correct. as it is, right? Their car is too condition and track dependent right now. But when the conditions are right and the track is right, they are able to get pole pace barely 
you know, reaching for it. So um, there's no denying the progress. Uh, anyway. All right. Podium. Uh, sorry. Personal podium. I, Max Checo and Red Bull, like all collectively. I just think it was a dominating weekend. I mean, they've had one other one to finish this year. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just that's that car. It was, as Max said, it was a rocket ship. They made no mistakes, arguably, other than, to your point, the whole could have given Perez a toe, but it didn't really bite Checo anyway. So, um, yeah, it's it's just this game over, man. That was the nail in the coffin. So, DNF. It. What do you got? Uh, I, it's hard for me not to say Ferrari race strategy again. Um, so, I'm just going to have to say Ferrari race strategy again. I feel like the, between that and mine, these could just be copy pastes every weekend. Um, mine, uh, well, I'm starting to feel bad on on how many times I I shit on him. It's got to be Latifi. I mean, despite the Williams having the potential as proven by Albon, he showed nothing all weekend, only to then ruin Botas's race on on lap one, basically from a self inflicted driver error going off the gravel, spinning, and then forcing Botas in the gravel. And it's just Mercedes fans have felt this as well with you know, the end of last season and the fact that he basically caused the yellow flag that, that brought, or I guess the red, I guess, yeah, the yellow flag that brought Max back into to range with Hamilton. It's like, how many races are going to be ruined that? And then you hear, I think I read something earlier, this the early part of the week where Yost was like, oh, I think we might actually stick with Latifi next year. And I'm like, on what planet are you? No, there's like, no what way in the that. world are you, how is that even like a feasible possibility? So, I mean, once again, just prove that if if he keeps his seat which i think is definitely not going to happen but if he did it would be purely it'd have to be purely money motivated it would be williams squeezing every last ounce of r&d money out of him as a paid driver and not into a up-and-coming driver so yeah let's just hope that's that's not the case yeah he doesn't deserve that seat so yeah all right. Well, looking ahead to Zanfort, um, much slower speed track, very twisty, bank turns, made for some amazing racing last weekend. A couple of corners where drivers can take different lines and and still have great laps. Um, you, you touched on this a little bit, but but what are you projecting in terms of team performance? Who's going to come out ahead next week? So so first off, I do have to say, uh, you know, in my deep expertise of what it's like to be in an F1 cockpit based on the F1 2021 game. Uh, Zandvoort is incredibly fun. The run out on the home straight from the final turn, which is this like gradually de-sloping kind of right-hander, uh, is incredible. I can only imagine what that feels like to drive as a driver. Um, to, I, you know, I, I, the other thing I have to think about is like bank turns in general are probably easier on the drivers physically because more of the energy is going through your seat than in your, your head into the side of the car. Yeah, not as much lateral so they, G-forces. Exactly. So they probably love it from that standpoint too. And it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it, it genuinely feels like a roller coaster because that dude, I'm, that bank coming out of the home straight is, I don't know what degree that thing's pitched at, but it is no joke. Like it is a serious bank. Well, it just makes you wish they had, they had more tracks like that. I mean, it's odd that yeah. it's so, so unique. It seems well, like you a, know that Monza used to have uh, a, a, a configuration that had, well, that was I like can't remember extreme the extreme banked corner. Yeah, and it was long. I can't remember the name of it. I'm actually hoping to see it in person when I go to Monza uh, in two weeks. But um, it, it was so dangerous, apparently. Like, they just couldn't put, like, effective barriers and protections around it. But they, they had a crazy-ass big turn. Yeah. Um, well, who, well, who you got? Uh, it, 
in your expertise, you know, as the as the resident expert on Zandvoort. I am a bit more bullish on the likes of Mercedes and McLaren hmm. at Zandvoort. Relatively speaking, I'm not saying they're going to finish one, two. I think it's still likely that Max wins the race, especially with the Orange Army there. But I think that, um, you know, chances are Ferrari will find a way to F it on strategy. I think Mercedes gets one or two guys on the podium. And uh, I think McLaren probably beats Alpine. Those are my two predictions. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I just still don't know what to make of Mercedes and where they where they really excel. Um, I think they very well could here. I, I'm just not confident in that. And, and, you know, you pick the, you pick the Red Bull path, just the inversion of car strengths this year with Red Bull faster on straights and Ferrari better in slower speed corners. I, look, I think Ferrari have turned a new leaf. They're willing to admit mistakes. They nearly made it an entire race. The, the extent of their strategic errors was only a loss of two points. Um, and so look, I, I think I have Ferrari taking a, taking a win here this weekend. Um, but I'm going to go with, uh, I think this is going to be the return of Leclerc, you know, a little bit comeback of, of some pride for him, um, into the second half of the season. I, I, I don't hate the Ferrari pick, but if I had done it, I would have actually taken signs. On a relative basis, I was going he's surging, to, man. He's surging, but I, for that reason, I'm I'm such a sucker for a mean reversion. Uh, you know, yeah, rightly or mean, wrongly, the mean for Leclerc is like finish every other race. <laughs> like, well, the mean is like he should be on the podium again at some point, right? That's not the mean though. That's not the average. That's like the aspiration, but that's I mean, not start the of mean. season. Lots of podiums. Last handful of race, none. He's got to get back there at some point, and I think this arguably is one of their best chances to to do that. But I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he he makes a mistake because he's he's been more driver driver error prone as well. So as of late, so I like your picks. I like your picks. Well, look, I think uh, I think it's now to say you know excited to to have you reporting from live and in person, uh, despite what will be criticized by our producer as diminished, likely diminished audio quality. Um, the more than offset by the the quality of content and insight you're going to bring for live and in person from the Netherlands. I am uh I'm just super excited to tour Europe. I am very excited about Monza. We got general admission tickets so we get we're getting in for a much more reasonable price than we did for um for uh Miami, but yeah man, I mean we're going to spend a whole day in Monza. The race ends at a very reasonable hour. We're going to have 4 or 5 hours to explore the town of Monza, see kind of just the whole Ferrari history and culture mingle with the Tifosi and then, uh, yeah, headed right back up to Lake Como and probably going to record the podcast on my AirPods from literally Lakeside and, and Bellagio, which is how I'm told the Italians say Bellagio. So, uh, I'm almost certain they don't say it. However, you just said, it. I had an Italian <laughs> tell me that last week. So screw you. Uh, I know. I think they have a better enunciate. I think their, their enunciation has to be yeah. far superior, but look, you might be, you're, you're really living the, uh, the driver's lifestyle. You might in fact be on the boat out to your villa with, with some of them in Como. It's going to be uh, a once in a lifetime trip. I'm going with my brother for most of it, my dad on the front end, and then some other friends on the back end. So, um, yeah, and also uh, one of the guys, so his name's Chase, who's going to be there for the second part of the trip. He watched Drive to Survive before the season started, and you know, like every weak-minded American F1 fan, gravitated towards Daniel Ricciardo 
and McLaren. And then when the season started and McLaren laid an egg, he immediately switched to Ferrari. And the second that he did, like week three, the disaster started. So I would love nothing more than for us to all show up to Monza together because he's going to the race and literally watch a double Ferrari DNF. Like, it would make me so happy. And I... Is he still clinging to Ferrari? Yeah, oh yeah. Well, we've told him we're like you're not allowed to switch. Like you, if you you're not allowed to cheer for Red Bull. Very like it's it's your fault clearly. So you're not allowed to touch Red Bull because you're a Red Bull fan. Your your brother's Mercedes fan, and so you needed a you needed a Tifosi in the bunch. We needed, we needed Tifosi in the bunch. Uh, and yeah, I am very confident that there is a high probability of a Red Bull one two on a track like Monza after what we saw at Spa. So I mean, almost guaranteed at this point. Um yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty, pretty good about being there in person. So well that's gonna be awesome, man. Look forward to uh look forward to the insights. Safe travels Thanks, and have fun, man. Appreciate it. All right, y'all. Podcast out. Enjoy Acadia. See ya.